millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Laura Cathcart Robbins is the author of Stash, My Life in Hiding. Laura is an author, freelance writer, speaker, and host of the popular podcast, The Only One in the Room, which, by the way, she was kind enough to invite me to be a guest on, which I did, and it was really fun. Her work has appeared in HuffPost, The Tempest, and more. She lives in California. This book was so good. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Stash, My Life in Hiding. Yay. Thank you, Zibby. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my gosh. It's my pleasure to have you. Thank you, by the way, for having me on your wonderful podcast, The Only One in the Room podcast. My pleasure. It's great. I know you listeners can't see this right now, but Laura's wearing this very cool black sweater with like embroidered stash written on it with some very fun little, I don't even know how to describe, embellishments. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Really awesome. Best swag wear I've ever seen of a book. So Laura, I was starting to say like, I peeked into this book, which I had read in an earlier draft, thinking I would remember everything. And I 
got so drawn in. I like read all through the night. It's so good. The final draft is so good. I, it just blew my mind. I could not put it down. The final scene. Oh my God. I was like, (gasps) like, Oh, it was so good. It was just so good. Thank you. Thank you. Tell listeners about the story now that I've raved. Okay. So it's Stash, My Life in Hiding is about a 10-month period in my life in 2008 when I what, I filed for divorce. I was spiraling down into a pill addiction. And I was also at the same time parent association president I had just been asked to join the board of my kid's school. I was in a high-profile marriage. And so I had all these stakes where I felt like I needed to show up exactly the same way I had been showing up before the addiction took me down. And at the same time, I felt like I needed the pills in order to show up. So it wasn't an option to stop taking the pills and continue to show up for my life or my family. At that point, I had two young kids boys who are two grown boys now. And so the journey is I file for divorce. I spiral down into addiction. I I get to a, a rock bottom where I know that I have to get help. I go to treatment to get help, uh, a place called the Meadows in, in Arizona. And the hour after I check in, I meet this guy who is you know, optimistic, kind of feckless, like very curious about me. I am not interested in a relationship at all. Obviously, I'm dealing with a lot, (laughs) but he becomes like my rock in treatment and we end up staying connected afterward. He he lived in another state. I live in Los Angeles. Wait, don't give it away. Okay. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) All right. All right. So basically, it's about that 10-month period in my life. for divorce and I check into treatment for a a drug and alcohol addiction and I get sober. And how many days sober are you now? Oh, I'm, I don't know how many days. I've been sober since August 14th, 2008. So 14 plus years. Yeah. We should do the, we should do like the days though. I have, I have an app. I'll, I'll look it up while we're talking. Okay. (laughs) Tell me exactly how many days I've been sober. It is 5,270 days. So that's amazing. That's such an accomplishment because I feel like I'm still with you as like the newbie, right? When you hit 60 days and oh my gosh, I just, uh, that's such an accomplishment to fast forward. And thank you. Thank you. There to hear. Oh my gosh. There's so much to discuss. First of all, your love for your boys is so clear on every page. I don't know if they've read it yet or not, but Every move you made, everything was just radiating love and respect for them. And I just like felt like it was one big hug to those those boys. So I hope that they know and they feel it and that they've read it. If they've read it, I don't know. If, are they going to read it? <laughs> you know, my older one, severely dyslexic, does not read, will wait for the audiobook to come out. So it's a possibility that I'll listen to it. It's certainly not his genre. Like it's not anything right. he would ever I'm assuming, read. I'm a, yeah. The younger one has started to read the galley. And wouldn't it be wouldn't it be funny though if your son if you're like, oh my son's great. He mostly likes to read memoirs about like middle-aged <laughs> women. <laughs> You'd be like, oh yeah, okay. 
That would be really funny. It would. Yeah. Yeah. My my younger one is actually a screenwriter and he reads a lot. So this is something he sees it so far. He's just started it as being very cinematic. So he's it is cinematic. Part of it. Yeah. Yeah. If the July 4th scene in particular um, was just yeah. so I mean, all of it was so vivid and so it was told in such scenes, so visual. So oh my gosh. You said like in the introduction to the book that, you know, your ex was, you know, thank you and thanked him for letting you tell the story. This is like a lot about memoirs by nature, right? Of the genre are so revealing about your own life, but also those around you. And just tell me about how, how he's came to be okay with it or how you dealt with that situation and, and all of that. Well, you know, you, you and I actually had a conversation about this a while ago. Um, yeah. And like, and this is, this is, this is my life. You know, this is my life story. This is a story that I felt was a re- that was really important to tell for a variety of reasons, not just for addiction, but also for the divorce element yep. and, and the, the hanging on to my marriage element when, when it wasn't serving anyone anymore and how terrifying that was to let that go. Even with all of the there were so many good elements to my marriage as well. There was still so much love there. It was really difficult to make the decision and 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 to not be a family anymore, you know, to not be, and we we are still a family, but to not, to not be the family that we were. And so I felt like that was important to write about because at, especially I was 43 um, at the time of, you know, when, in the time period I'm writing about and so many of my friends, my peers were starting to look at their marriages the same way that I was. They were starting to consult with divorce attorneys. They were looking at, you know, the the two houses, the two Thanksgivings, the two birthdays. And I also wrote this book for them, you know, for anybody that's coming up on that precipice, wondering what they should do. The way that my ex and I are now is we're really friendly and we have, you know, I'm patting myself on the back because I think we did an amazing job co-parenting our boys and we continue to do so. Uh, you know, it was just during COVID that I stopped going to his house for Thanksgiving with him and his wife. Uh, they just didn't do a big dinner because of COVID and which I completely understood. And now they're 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 moving out of the city where I live, but people come to me and want to know how how it's so good like how how was the marriage so admirable and how is your divorce also so admirable and so writing about it was tricky because i had to reveal some things you know nothing i don't think that anybody would look at it and go oh it's your fault oh it's his fault but intimate details about my life and about our life together and he's a very private person believe it or not, I am too, which seems really like, you know, it doesn't make sense because I've written this very revealing, vulnerable memoir, but I'm not someone who talks about my relationships in detail with my friends. I I give them broad strokes. You know, there are just certain things I keep private. And so I really respect his privacy. My idea was to make sure that he wasn't blindsided by anything, that he didn't hear that I was thinking about writing this book from anyone else, that he didn't hear that I'd procured an agent, that he didn't hear that I'd sold it um, to Simon and & Schuster. And, 
you know, all of that was to come from me. And I got to tell you, he's just been so supportive along the way and some great conversations about, about my story and his understanding that it is my story to tell. You know, there were, there were a few parameters that we both discussed before it went to first pass. And, and I think we were both really okay with where, what, what, what stories I wouldn't tell and what stories I would. I think that my story didn't suffer from the editing of those parts out. It, it, actually, I didn't edit them out. I just didn't put them down on paper. Right. So yeah, I think that was, Amazing. that was our journey with that. Yeah. I feel like you touched on your relationship with your stepfather and you you gave it some time, but I feel like that could have been its own book if you had really gone there and told us about your childhood. I feel like it must have been an intentional choice you made how much to tell about that as well when so, some other areas were so revealing. And you, as the reader already does, right, you help connect the dots. Perhaps I am this way because of this, but maybe you could shed a little more light on on that sort of abusive relationship in your own childhood. You know, that was that was one of the hardest parts for me to write, which is probably why there's not as much of it. I really didn't want to write about him. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it was necessary because there is a dynamic in my life that was created between he and I that carries over into my teenage years and adult life. And the reader needed to know where that dynamic began and, and how it started. So I really took a long time, you know, at, at the time, at that time in my life, when I got sober, he and I had not reconciled and he, he had passed by the time I got sober, but we hadn't reconciled before then. And I hadn't forgiven him. Mm -hmm. And just to be clear, the abuse was, was emotional. It wasn't physical. It wasn't sexual, but, and I, I, I don't want to diminish any of those, but for me, the impact of that was, was horrific. Like it was it was very, it was impossible to be myself during my childhood when he was around. And I know that that, it, I know how it impacted me. I know how it felt then, but I didn't realize how much it impacted me as an adult. So my editor was very gentle, but asked me to go back and look at that mm -hmm. some more. And so I did. And yeah, it was, it's, it's just hard to write about him. And I think I've forgiven him now, but I, I won't ever really know because he's not here. You know, I forgive people in my head all the time. And then I see them and I'm like, <laughs> it all comes back up again. <laughs> so I have to, I, I may not, I may not ever really know, but it doesn't weigh heavy on me now. It doesn't occupy space in my head the way that it used to. So hopefully it's done. And has it ever affected like, have you ever really sat down and talked to your mom about it? I have. I have. And, you know, without telling too much of her story, she she sees things that she could have done differently now, mm -hmm. um, things that she would have done differently now. But at the time, she was unable yeah. to do those things. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Posting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. This divorce lawyer you had just to go in a completely different direction, Nancy, um, I don't know if that's her real name or not. No. No. Okay. There is a lot in here about, you know, she's like a main character essentially in her how she led you through your divorce and like the lens that she so desperately wanted you to put on and see, see things through, which, you know, I'll leave the reader to find (laughs) out what ends up happening. But when you look back on this whole relationship and with other people getting divorced and turning to lawyers, like what, what's your three, what's your, you know, hindsight 2020 view of, of the situation? You know, Just like, you know, Ambien is a really good drug for most people and it's very effective and that's what I was addicted to. I think she's an incredible lawyer, but she probably wasn't the right fit for me. And I was, I was too, like, I, I, I was too messed up to think about getting some, and it was, I was too far in, honestly, Mm -hmm. to, to switch or I could have switched, but I was too messed up. But, you know, her her assessment of my situation was very clear. There's this, that there's this that's available and here's the path so that we get as much of it as we can. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was really it. And my, my goal was very clear, which was, I need to stay in my kids' lives. And at times our goals, hers, Nancy's and mine were at odds. And it, it was, you know, it's it's something to have someone fighting for you. And she was the only one fighting for me at times. And I'm so grateful to her. But then there were times where I was fighting her <laughs> so mm-hmm. that she could fight for me the way that I wanted her to fight for me or fight for the things 
that were my priorities. And so I think, you know, knowing what I know now, I don't know that I would have survived going to court with my sobriety intact. I just, I really don't think I would have. And if we had gone further, I would have had to. So I think I made the right decisions while I was with her, but it was very difficult. And she was, she was, man, I call her a shark because she, I mean, she is, she's still around. She was actually, I got a, a magazine delivered to my house. That's a local magazine here. And she was on the cover of it. Oh, no. <laughs> Three weeks ago. I haven't seen her since then. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So funny. So wow. she's definitely still doing her thing. But that's, <laughs> I think that she and I, you know, if if my priorities have been different, we would have been more aligned and probably had a better experience. You touch in your introduction, but also all throughout the book, about sort of this intersection between race and privilege and you and where you fit into this whole sphere and how, tell me a little more about that. Well, you know, it's, the race thing is really interesting because if, if you think about the, the role models we have for recovery, right, as women, I can't think of any black ones, honestly. You know, there's Brene Brown, who was, you know, amazing. And this model of recovery, there are, um, there's like Elizabeth Vargas, who was the newscaster who who got sober. And then I can't think of any other ones right now, but none of them are black. If I were to think of more, they wouldn't be black. And then, you know, there are white men as well, like Rich Roll, the podcaster, and Dak Shepard, who's also a podcaster and an actor. And these, and then Matthew Perry, right? These are, these are our role models for recovery. So being in the situation where I was, where I was in this leadership position in my community, I was in, like I said, this high profile marriage and there was a certain status that I enjoyed very much, but it it, it came, you know, at a cost, which was that I felt like I needed to maintain that status at all costs. And the cost for me, as people will read, is very dear, but I wanted to maintain it at all costs. And I there was an extra layer, I thought, for me, uh, for being one of the only Black parents in the school, for being, you know, one of the only Black moms in my community. If I failed, if I was the one, then I would be the example for recovery and for what happens when Black people try to get sober. It's like, oh, she didn't make it you know, oh, so-and-so, or she's failed. I I had this huge, probably still have it, fear of failure. I don't think it's acute now. But at that time, I I just, like, I thought I would die if I was exposed, if, you know, there obviously imposter syndrome. But but race for me was a huge part of it because I wanted to be the, the example of Black excellence. And I felt like I needed to be for all the other black moms to come, for all the other black people in my community, I could not fail. Yeah. Wow. And yet you have moments like that. And then all these scenes where you're like hiding out from your housekeeper. <laughs> and the garden. <laughs> Is she still your housekeeper? No. I, <laughs> she, she was the worst. Oh my goodness. I mean, you see in the book, I she was just... She was on me and, you know, (laughs) 
she actually was probably great because she knew what was going on or she suspected. If anybody knew, it was her because she has, you know, she's in everywhere. But yeah, she and I were, were, were at odds the whole time. So as soon as I could, I got rid of her. You said it was hard writing the part about your stepfather. How about the rest of it? Did it all just come out? Like, did you know you wanted to write this book and was it hard or easy? Never sat in front of a blank page. It was always pouring out of me. The There are a couple of scenes with my kids that were, I was crying through. Like Diane Keaton in As Good As It Gets. Or yeah. it was, something's got to give. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crying over her keyboards. Like yeah. that's what I was doing. And I definitely had to take breaks, but it wasn't because I didn't know what to write next. It mm-hmm. was because the emotional toll it was taking on me was was too great. And I needed a break where I would watch the Mary Tyler Moore show or I Love Lucy or something and just kind of erase that 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 feeling in me and just distract myself from it, I guess. And then go back to the keyboard. Yeah. My gosh. Well, the result is so good. And tell me about the cover. I love oh. the cover. So the cover is hot pink with a couple pills and uh, a hand like kind of reaching in to grab one. But... Yeah cool font. And I mean, I love it. It's so cool. Thank you. Thank you. The, the, this font is, um, the same font that they use for black exploitation films hmm. back in the seventies, Foxy Brown and coffee and like those types mm-hmm, of movies. Mm-hmm. That was a deliberate choice so that there was some culture brought into it. It's also the font for Valley of the Dolls, which looks a lot like this cover, or hmm. I guess my cover looks a lot like that. Uh, it is covered with pills, which I like. The hand was a an interesting touch. There was no hand at first, but I really thought it was important that you could tell this was written by a woman of color. And we didn't know how to do that with the cover because it was so fabulous, you know, with all the pills and the and so the hand reaching for a pill was the publisher's idea. And it looks exactly like my hand. <laughs> And and it's wearing a nice big rock. So it shows that you know, married, there's privilege there. The hand tells a story in itself. And I think the cover does as well. Totally. Got the French manicure going. Yep. 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 <laughs> so for someone who hasn't read your story, like who who do you desperately want to reach with your book? I want really desperately anyone who is afraid to be themselves in whatever circumstance they're in. And to see how painful my journey was to live authentically. Hopefully, people who are afraid to be themselves don't have to go through what I went through in order to find that freedom to be themselves. I I don't want to be a cautionary tale, but I, I certainly don't mind being one if it helps anybody. And... It's, it is about addiction, but it is really about living authentically and how I was afraid to do that for so long, you know, starting with my stepfather because I had to change who I was in order to be, in order for the house to be okay. And so, you know, I started stashing away pieces of myself, mm-hmm. you know, which ended to ended up with me stashing drugs and alcohol all over the house and reclaiming that, you know, after I I got sober and not just because I got sober, but because there was, there was this, um, this moment of clarity that I had that led to 
action that I didn't want to take, which led to me discovering that the fear was, you know, as they say, a mile wide, a mile high and paper thin. I could walk right through it. It's amazing. I feel like, you know, coming into your authentic self, you talked so much about like dissociating and how like you used to dissociate from everything. And now you're just like the opposite of that. I don't know if it's associating or just being so present, but you know, you, you get that from you right away and it's just so great. And here you are like in your element, like giving your all to the world. And it's just so cool to watch. Thank you, Zippy. Thank so, you. so thank you for coming on and for anybody still listening, uh, Laura is coming to our Retreat. I'll say this again at the beginning, but in Charleston. So there are still, at this recording at least, some tickets left if you want to come meet her in person. And she'll be at Zoe's Bookshop at some point. I got to get the date. When is it? March? March uh, 23rd. March 23rd at Zoe's Bookshop in Santa Monica. So you can go meet her in person. I can't wait. (laughs) Laura, thank you. I'm so impressed. I couldn't put it down. It was so good. Congratulations. Really awesome. Okay. That's it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 